Thank you again for the invitation to be with you. It is always a privilege and an honor to worship with you and to be part of your community, at least on this day. And so uh, may we worship God in the things that we do, not only here, but as we go from here as well in all that we do. Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 34. I'm going to ask you to uh, read along with me, so uh, why don't we all stand together when we read this, okay? Let's read it out loud. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come because we are people who need healing as well. Perhaps for some of us it is a physical disease that we long to have you touch our bodies this day and restore us to a wholeness of health that we may enjoy living. Perhaps the disease is of our heart, a heart that has been broken because of circumstances that have been a part of our lives, some of which we've had no control over at all, and we seek to be healed. Some of those are broken family relationships, friendships that have gone awry, working relationships that aren't as good as we would like them to be. And in the midst of all of those, Lord, as we see you clearly, we see our own sin, and we ask that you forgive us of that and make us whole once more. Father, we don't have to actually touch your garment this day. We thank you that you have touched us. 
And so may we continue to grow in our faith that we have received because of the gift you've given to us. And may each day be a day of growing in that faith and loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. When the communist takeover occurred in China in the late 1940s, Isabel Kuhn was a missionary along with her youngest son. And because of the circumstances of the day, it was required of her to leave immediately, and she had to flee. And their escape from China was over the snowy mountain passes that took them into the country of Upper Burma. And although there was safety and recluse when they came to that place, the challenges were still before Isabel and her son that day. She had no money. She did not know the language. She knew no one in that place and had no place to live at all. And so as she awoke on that first day, there was a tremendous amount of despair and hopelessness because although she had escaped that which she thought was bad, there was still so much unknown before her that life did not look easy. She arose that day, and in prayer she came to two conclusions. The first one is this. I will cast out fear today. She said the only fear a Christian should entertain is the fear of sin. All other fears are from Satan sent to confuse and weaken us. How often she remembered the Lord reiterated to his disciples, be not afraid. And that was her first claim that day. Her second determination was this. Each day I will seek light for my next step. She had no idea how to get out of Asia. But with God's help, she could figure out what to do that day to provide food and funds and a place to live and a place to sleep. And she would take it each day at a time. Eventually, she arrived home safe and sound. And then she wrote this. But it came by trusting God for guidance in very small increments, taking the journey one footprint at a time. Those are things that we can identify with. And yet, we also know that there was a large group of people who earlier in history had failed to follow that which Isabel Kuhn had learned. For about 3,500 years ago, the Israelite nation was miraculously, by the hand of God, allowed to be freed from the grips of Egypt, which for 430 years they had lived in slavery. Exodus chapter 12 describes what that's like. Can you imagine the joy and the laughter and the expectations that they held when finally, after 430 years, they were set free and in mass they marched out of the country onto the promised land. For those of you old enough to remember the movie The Ten Commandments, that producer tried to give a picture of what it was like. And I can remember how they gathered today and they were singing with joy and marching out of the land. Young people taking care of old people, helping one another as they move forward in faith as to how God wanted them to live. And then earlier we read from Exodus chapter 14, only two chapters later, and things had changed. 
that which began as such a wonderful celebration that would be lame in comparison to anything that we've ever, ever done or seen turned into a day of questioning the leadership of Moses, rewriting the history of Israel, and a failure to remember and experience what God had done for them simply by his gracious hand. And somehow we're confronted with two different ways of walking in faith. I've been following your sermon series, Living Beyond, and listening to Doug and Tim as they've been preaching. I appreciate so much the basic fundamental principles that they're over and over reminding us of the biblical truths, that the only way to properly see ourselves is in light of how God sees us and what he's done for us. Created in his image, above all of creation, the crown of creation, just a little lower than the angels, according to the psalmist. And yet we who by our fallenness have neglected to build upon that relationship and have broken it. And God, by his grace and mercy, has restored it, not because of anything that we've done, but simply because of his love for us. And that alone should move us to worship him, adore him, bow down before him, and sing our praises every day. But if I've also listened carefully enough to what Doug and Tim have begun to say, they're also giving us an exhortation that says we need to be able to move in faith beyond that place. The initial place where we know that we've been saved from the penalty of our sin to move into the world in which we live in to a place that we know that we are saved right now from the power of that sin. And then someday yet to come that we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And so the story today was a healthy reminder of me of my own condition in my life. When Doug called me several months ago and asked me if I'd be open for this Sunday, he said he would send me the ideas that they were working on and the text that they were using each day. And so the text for today was assigned to me by Doug in, in the order of which the series is moving. And as we talked that day, he said it's the story of the woman who who came to Jesus and after suffering for 12 years was healed. And I said, oh yeah, that's a familiar story. I I can do that one. And then when I hung up the phone, I began to think. I said, you know something? I don't think I've ever preached on this before. And so the bad news for me was I had to start from scratch. And hopefully the good news for you, it's a new sermon. It's nothing rehashed that's been done over and over again. There's no biases as the way I've looked at it in the past, but it was something brand new from a way of looking and studying and trying to see what God has in store for us. And yet what I saw these past couple weeks is that I saw myself in that woman. And I didn't always like what I saw. We're told the woman had suffered for 12 years. That's a long enough period of time that any one of us would be knocked down and lose all hope. 12 years of suffering from the same disease. One can imagine after that length of time, the number of good days were very few. And the number of days that were worse than the day before were probably growing in number as the time went on. 
she had to have been anemic and very weak and very pale in her complexion and frail in her outlook. And just looking at her, you would know that she was not in good health. To have a flow of blood was to be considered unclean according to Leviticus chapter 15. And so she wouldn't even be welcome in her body of faith. To be considered unclean in the social community would mean that every time she walked and there was a crowd of people, it was almost required of her that she would yell out, unclean, unclean. And I began to think if every time I walked into a group of people, I would have to yell out, my sin today was this, my sin yesterday was that, I would think over and over and over again how I would be beat down. The woman could not worship with others. She couldn't socialize with others. She probably was not married. She could not have children. She lived a life basically in seclusion. And then we're told in the scriptures beyond all that she spent all that she had trying to get well. In those days, blood was a symbol of life. And yet to be bleeding is a symbol of death. Her physical life was bleeding away. At the same time, her spiritual life was bleeding away as well. We don't know her name. The scripture tells us earlier that the whole idea began when Jesus was there and a man by the name of Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, well known in the community. Everybody knew his name. But according to the scripture, no one knew the name of this woman. We have no idea whether she was even a devoted follower of God. And I don't believe that's why the scripture is given to us. I don't think that's why the story is there for us to read this day. The intent isn't for us to declare whether she stands before him receiving God's grace or not at that particular point. I think the story is there for us to ask ourselves As we come before God, have we known for sure if we've received the touch of God in our life? We do know she came that day. And I can only guess because when it meant that she wanted to touch the garment of Jesus, that she was crawling because of a lack of strength and working her way through the crowd, and people probably were so anxious to get close to him, they didn't know that somebody unclean was this close to them, and she was doing everything that she thought she could do to reach Jesus that day. Scripture says she went to doctors with no success at all. And with no standing in the social world, no opportunity to be a part of a faith community on a regular basis, no family to call her own, living alone in all that she'd done, an outcast of outcasts if ever there was. She worked her way to Jesus, and outwardly my first impression was, what a wonderful, wonderful testimony of faith. And yet there's something about that as we read it closely. It was an imperfect faith. That her approach to Jesus was apparently not her first choice, but her last choice. And there's a part of me that says, who could blame her? 
for all that she faced that day. But to the one that she wanted to touch, he saw it differently. Not a bad choice to make, but it wasn't a first choice. And that's what made me look at myself. And I had to ask the questions, what are the choices that I make every day of my life when it comes to exhibiting and showing faith? How often is it because of, I think this is the way that can be done, it's the norm, it's how everybody else does it, that I will follow this route as well, and that will be an example of my faith. If the extent of our faith stops with knowing that we're only saved from the penalty of sin and doesn't move to the place where we know that we can be saved from the power of our sin, then we're far short of a faith that Christ asks us to have every day of our lives. And so more and more as I saw this woman, I saw, my goodness, I see myself so clearly and in a sense that I think in all ways that I view myself as being strong that perhaps I am the person that's crawling as well this day. Please know I'm not saying that finding fellowship is a bad thing to do. Or going to medical, the medical care providers we have is a bad thing to do when we need them. Or setting up a financial plan and keeping to those principles are an evil thing to do. But what I'm saying is that when we do all those things outside of the light of the faith that we know that we have, that ultimately God is in control of everything that we do, then it's an imperfect faith. And that which needs the touch of Jesus to change us. There's a sense there's some superstition here. The woman believed she had to actually touch the hem of Jesus. When he was prepared to heal her all along. And so I ask myself, and we need to ask ourselves, have we had substitutes for our work of faith? And has it, our faith been concealed? And does it leave us in a state of imperfect faith? However, we see in the story that as imperfect as it is, and more clearly as imperfect mine is, is that the Scripture tells us it was sufficient enough for God to do his work. Jesus saw the imperfect faith. He noticed it when nobody else noticed it. As I said earlier, I don't think anybody even noticed she was there. And not only did he notice it, but he restored it. He rewarded that faith. In verse 29, it says, immediately after she touched his garment, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And what we need to see that although this woman's faith was far from perfect, nevertheless, the Lord graciously rewards it. And the greater impact is that as imperfect as my faith is this day, and my longing should be to have it more, a, more of a more perfect faith, that God still takes the imperfect faith that I have, and when I touch him in my faith, he responds and rewards it in a way that touches my very soul. The woman was healed physically, but we get the indication that she was healed holy as well, when at the end Jesus said, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. 
the cry of the Israelites when the Pharaoh and his chariots were, I gotta, you got to save me today, God. No idea that he wanted to give them even more. Almost every night before I go to bed, I, I read to help me go to sleep. And I don't read books that are real heavy, but things that are of interest to me. And currently I'm reading a book called Out of the Depths. It's the story of the USS Indianapolis, a battleship of World War II. A naval ship which its last significant mission was it was charged with carrying the parts that made up the atomic bomb that was eventually dropped on Japan. Hardly any on the crew knew it at that time. Of course, their mission was secret, and so hardly anybody anywhere knew what they were doing. And so the story really picks up that after they delivered their parts to the place where the airplanes were going to take the bomb, they were then assigned to go to another place in the Pacific. And so several days later, when actually no one knew where they were, they were torpedoed by a Japanese submarine. And within a 12-minute period of time, they sank. And no one knew where they were. And so the author of the book was, at that time, a 21-year-old man who was a follower of Jesus. And a description of what it was like to be in the water for four days, shark-infested waters, scorching heat in the daytime, cold at night, nothing to drink, only salt water around them, covered in the oil that was found from a shipwreck that they had to go into the water for, He tells us this about an example of faith. When word to abandon ship finally reached the quarter deck, many men ran to the high side, the port side, and began jumping off. It was bedlam. In the light of the flames, I could see men jumping on top of each other. I recall making my way to the port side and hanging on to the rail to keep from falling due to the steep incline. As I stood there, I looked out into the blackness of night and then looked at the pitch black oil floating on top of the water below. I'll never forget that moment. It is indelibly etched in my mind. The stark reality of what was really happening flooded my senses in a torrent of horror. I was suddenly face to face with my mortality. Eternity was before me, and in the midst of my fear and utter helplessness, I cried out to God in prayer. Anyone who has ever experienced a similar situation will understand what I'm about to say. There are times when you pray, then there are times when you really pray. This was one of those latter times. No one offered to help me because no one could help me. I was there alone, or so it seemed. But as I reached out in the desperation to the Savior of my soul, he suddenly made it clear to me that he was also going to be the Savior of my life. There was no audible voice. Something far more comforting was suddenly given to me. An unexplainable and ineffable peace enveloped me like a warm blanket on a frosty night. With the undeniable marks of the supernatural, the chill of terror was placed with the glowing warmth of divine assurance.
I knew within my heart that God was answering my prayers and was going to see me through. As the finite security of the great Indianapolis slipped away beneath my feet, the infinite security of the Almighty bore me up and gave me peace, a supernatural peace promised in his word. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that began his first of four days in the ocean. Here was a man who earlier in his life knew that he was saved from the penalty of his sin. And now he had the opportunity in a very realistic way to find out how he was saved from the power of sin. Sin that would crush anyone's heart and crush many. Sin that found its shape in the form of sharks who ate some of his companions. Sin that found itself in the delusion of people who after they drank salt water would think that they saw an island just over a little bit away and begin to swim and to find it. People who are hurt because of the torpedo and in the, in the ocean with broken arms and scarred bodies and burnt faces. Physical sin, emotional sin, heartfelt sin that tells us as you read the book that after a while there was hardly a man who was not able to turn to God in prayer. His reward was not just a physical deliverance, but he knew the presence of God was with him that day. The woman in our story knew that same thing as well. But Jesus had more for her. He didn't want to leave her just with that healing. He realized that someone had touched him. It wasn't just an accidental touch. He knew he was being jostled by many people. You can imagine what it was like that day as he was walking away and people trying to get close and trying to get through what it was like. He knew it was a touch that was intentional. It was a finger, just a weak finger that was reaching out that touched the hem of his garment. He understood that someone was reaching out in faith that day. Though it was imperfect, he knew someone was reaching. And his deliverance from the woman was intended for something for her to respond. He was looking for her to make another response in a way that he would know and the world would know that she was touched by God. I can't help but thinking that Jesus knew that when the psalmist wrote in, in Psalm 50, 15, it says, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That the end of the story wasn't over just by Jesus touching that woman. That he was calling this woman to come forth and to give an exhibition of her faith that no longer was one which was concealed, no longer one that was just rewarded, but it was now a faith that was revealed. And so he calls out and he says, who touched me? 
Now, I will leave Doug and Tim to answer this question that I do not know the answer for. We know that Jesus, being fully God, knows all things. We also know that Jesus, being fully man, is restricted in how much he can know. I don't know in the sense of knowledge how that fits together. That's for Doug and Tim to let you know. But somehow that day, he knew that he was touched. He wanted to know who touched me. I don't think it was for his good, but it was for the good of the woman. And so now we can see that that woman was placed in, a, in an opportunity that I am faced with every day as well. That now she's surrounded by a group of people who up until this time didn't even know she was there. And if she was there, would demand that she crawl out unclean and would have moved themselves away from her, would have run away in haste, would not want to have been a part of her life at all. And so Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And he was asking, are you willing to come forward and reveal your faith today? And how I wish I can be like that woman. Whether she was now walking because she was immediately healed, I don't know. However she came that day, she came with a background of knowing that everyone around her knew of her past. And she had no opportunity to make it whole. And yet she rose forth and she said, it's I. And she revealed her faith. Think of it. On that day, she knew both what it meant to be forgiven for the penalty of her sin, but also how, what it meant to be saved from the power of sin. She went away, not just physically healed, but healed in her heart as well. Several years ago, many years ago, there was a, a widower who lived in a, in a community well-known by many around him, a respected man, fairly well-to-do, above means. His wife had died earlier, and in the midst of his uh, living in the community, everybody knew who he was. And upon his death, the decision was made that he had made long before in his will that everything in his home was to go up for sale, there was no other family members alive at the time. He was on his own. So tons of people in the community were just curious to, not only to honor that man for all that he had done, but they were curious because they wanted to get inside his house. And they knew that he probably had nice furniture and fine pieces of art and, and books in the library and silverware that was good and a home that everybody would love to go in just to see. And along with the curious onlookers were those who, by their own trade, would go to auctions and yard sales and estate places, and they could understand what the true value was of things, and they would buy things knowing that they could resell and make a profit. So on the day of that time to sell his estate, there was a large crowd, and people were walking around ahead of time and just gazing in amazement at what they saw. And it came time then for the bidding to begin. And so when the auctioneer came up, he says, according to the instructions given by the man whose estate we are selling today, the first item up to bid is, is this picture. And it was a picture that 
nobody had really spent any time looking at. It was, it was nothing of great value at all. It was a picture of just a young boy, and it, it was discolored and faded and uh, ripped and torn in the, in the canvas, and the, and the frame was falling apart, and, and no one could see any value in that at all, and everybody was anxious to see the other things. And so the auctioneer began. He says, who will begin, the, who will begin bidding on this today? And, and no one said anything. And so he called out a price, and he said, would someone begin here? And, and no one made a bid at all because everybody was anxious for something more and greater. And so the auctioneer kept bringing the price lower and lower, and he says, we, we, under the instructions of the one who is in charge of the estate is that we are required to make this the first item to go. Until finally, he says, nobody bidding at all, he said, will anybody, will anybody take this for free? And so there was someone in the back who raised his hand, and, and the auctioneer looked and he said, it's yours for free. And he says, would you come up and take your picture? And so the man walked forward. And as he come forward, the auctioneer then announced to everybody else who was there, the auction for today is over and done. There's nothing else for sale. And people began clamoring and wondering what was going on. They said, wait a second, it's been advertised. There's great things here. The proceeds are going to a good cause. Why can't we do this? Somewhat of an uproar. And and as the man came forward to receive the painting that was given to him for free, the auctioneer calmed the crowd, and he said this. This picture is a picture of the man's son. And those who were older in the audience remembered that long, long time ago he had a son who died at an early age. And the man said, this picture, he says, probably this picture has no value to, you all, to, you, to any of you. But to the owner of the estate, it was of great value. And the instructions for today were this, that he who has the son gets everything else. He who has the son gets everything else for free. And my friends, that's the heavenly father. He who has the Son has a great gift. But he who has the Son has everything. We can know that we've been saved from the power of sin when we reach out and touch the Master. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, As we look at this woman, there are many things that we see and admire and those things that cause us to question. Our desire this day and our intent is not to evaluate how she stands before you. Our desire is to look at ourselves and to ask, have we received the Son? Do we know what it is to be saved from the penalty of our sin? And we thank you that you made that possible. But more so this day, we need to ask the question, do we know what it is to be saved from the power of sin as we face every day in this world? One world that you love so much that one day you'll restore it to the way you made it. 
but in its current state has fallen far short of what you want it to be. He who has the Son has everything. Let's never forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. 